Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, if you would, turn to the book of Philippians. That is towards the back of the book. One easy way I memorized all the books is, is Galatians, Ephesians, uh, General Electric Power Company, Philippians, Colossians. That's how GEPC, that's how I just kind of got that in my mind, General Electric Power Company. And uh, it's right there towards the back, kind of nestled in those four books, written by Paul. And uh, Philippians is something we're going to study over the next four weeks. I want to encourage you, if you're able to, to come out each one of those nights as we will study this book. I think it will be impactful. I think it will be good for us to just break these down. And I thought four chapters in Philippians, and I love the book of Philippians. And one of the reasons I absolutely love this book and a lot of commentators comment this when you will read different commentaries on this book. It's really a book of joy. Everybody say joy. It's a book of joy. It's, it, listen, some of the most quoted passages in all the world. Oh, we have youth. Yeah, youth. You guys are dismissed. I'm, I'm looking at some of the young people and I'm like, what are they still doing in here? Because I never stopped and, and, uh, and dismissed them. I know, I know, I know. They can hear. Guys, give it up for our youth. We love you guys. Pastor Cody, we appreciate you, bud. Good luck. <laughs> if we hear any screams from you, we'll send somebody in there. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But it really is a book of joy. I, I've read this many, many times, and it struck me one time, and I jotted it down just in case I ever did a full study on Philippians. I preached on different verses out of Philippians many times, but it struck me one time of just even the tone of you really sense Paul's genuine love, genuine joy, genuine concern, but also just a genuine love for the people in this city of Philippi in in the Greek world at the time. And you sense that. And one thing that I noticed one time, and I think this is important as we study it, is Paul didn't write the letter and give them a rebuke. There's some things in there that could kind of be taken as a veiled, kind of this is, this, is, this is me correcting you. A lot of the books that Paul wrote, of course he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but a lot of the books that he wrote are theological in nature. He's laying out doctrine. He's laying out correcting bad theology in some places and churches that he planted. And so in the tone of this book is really one of just, all through it is just joy. And one thing about some of the main scriptures that we'll look at over the next few weeks is when you have genuine joy, that joy isn't because of circumstances, it's because of a person. And his name is Jesus. And I want to tell you something tonight, if the world didn't give it, then the world can't take it away. All right, everybody, turn to, turn to page 239 of your red hymnal there in front of you, and we're going to sing... If the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away. And he can't. The enemy cannot take what God has done to give you. It doesn't mean that we don't have different times or we don't have peace and things like that. So if you're in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read. Is that okay if we read the whole chapter and then dive into some points? That's what I felt led to do. So stick with me. And we will read from the NIV version tonight. And I have a couple of... New Living Translations that I thought brought out a couple other things that I want to point out. Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. 
I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. You see, there he's speaking to them as you would with friends and people he had a deep affinity and affection with. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, as always, I give myself completely to you to help me preach and teach your word tonight. Father, I ask for a teaching anointing that we may dig into the book of Philippians and hear your word to this body at this season of time. Lord, whatever said of Jason Hanks, let it fall by the wayside. But whatever said under the unction and anointing of the helper, the Holy Spirit, the teacher of all truth, and the teacher of the word of God, I pray would go into the hearts of the people here and grow fruit, Lord, fruit that remains, fruit that honors you, and fruit that causes us to grow into who you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't figured it out from reading that whole first passage, Paul's in jail. And the interesting thing about that is he's in jail again 
and we know from Corinthians and other writings that he did, he ended up in jail a lot, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, um, beaten with a whip, all the things that Paul went through in preaching the gospel. He finds himself in a Roman prison as he's writing this. They say about 63, 60, 63 is the general consensus on when he would have been writing to the people at Philippi, to the people here in this book. And he had a very strong affinity for these people. He obviously loved them and loved them dearly. And the reason he loved them, I found out, is because, and this wasn't the only reason, of course, but they supported him financially. They supported him in prayer as he went out to plant other churches after he left Philippi. They supported him in their love and their their agreement with what God had called him to do. So the first thing that we see here in Philippians chapter 1 is Paul had a real genuine connection with the people of Philippi. He, he loved them. He supported them. He did whatever he needed to do in order to keep that bond. And he was written to a specific church in this region of Macedonia, of, of the Greek world, called Philippi. And the only epistle that he really wrote that wasn't dealing with theological issues and he wasn't dealing with correction and he wasn't dealing with those type of things. So the whole book has a whole different tone to it, which really, when you read through it, is a book of joy, a book of peace, a book of some of the greatest promises we'll look at next week where we talk about the disposition of our Messiah, the disposition of Jesus and, but this book is probably the best example of what maturing believers, this is, this is where it's practical tonight. This is where it's practical as I study this for our individual lives, but especially as we come together as a body because he's looking at them and he's saying, hey, the way you were birthed as a church was through revival, was through a really, we'll talk about that more in a minute, was a supernatural encounter through intercessory prayer and worship. And when he was put in, in jail there in the, the city of Philippi, but I think the affinity that he had is he's like, look, you guys are doing it. I think Philippi, the church in, in, in Philippi here, is a great example of what a church looks like, what a church should be like, and what I desire for this church to be. As you study this, and we studied over four weeks, one of the main points is he had an affinity for them because he didn't have to correct a lot of the turmoil, a lot of the things going on, or even theologically kind of bring them back to a different place. We're going to look at this tonight, and it, it, it's kind of paralleled, so we'll look at Acts 16. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts 16, I'll keep our anchor text for tonight. One passage of Scripture as you're turning there that I want to read. It's verses 19 through 21. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. (laughs) How many would agree with me that it's a whole lot easier to email, text, or give a phone call to somebody that you like? Would you be honest and tell me that's easier than somebody... It's harder to reach out to somebody that, man, and this happens to all of us, you've been praying for them, you've been witnessing to them, you've been talking to them about the Lord or whatever, and you kind of say to yourself, man, I don't think they're ever going to get this. Have you ever been there? 
And it's harder to communicate with those people. So we see here in the book of Philippians that what Paul, and the, the main thing that I wanted to point out, is he said, what has happened to me will turn out for the greater good. So I asked myself a question. What has happened to Paul that they would relate to in their own walk with Christ? And what is going on is he's saying, in all my prayers, for all of you as an entire congregation, if you have, are like-minded and you're in unity, I'm praying that God would fill you with his joy, even though I am going through circumstances that may look like to people who are my enemies, people who don't follow Christ, are using this as as an example to try to discourage you. Let me encourage you. And he loves these people dearly. And what happened that he's talking about here, and it's here in Acts 16, as he's pointing out the kind of particulars of what happened when he came in Acts 16 to the city of Philippi. And what basically happened is Paul arrives through the leading of the Holy Spirit, and as he is ministering, as he's going from place to place, there showed up a woman who eventually we find out was disrupting. This wasn't like a church service where people are like, amen, pastor, good word, we're with you, come on somebody, right? It's not. It wasn't that. She was literally sent by the enemy, we see, and what we find out about her was she had a spirit of divination, the Bible tells us and informs us. What that simply meant was she had a spirit. This, this woman was a mess. She was operating in something demonic, not something spirit-led, and she was disrupting Paul everywhere that she went. I guess you could call it the original Dion Warwick 1900 psychic hotline is what she operated in. <laughs> She did. If, if you want a, a present-day illustration of what she was doing and operating in, she was operating in a spirit of divination so that they had a temple in the city of Philippi. And the, the thing that I studied out and found out, which I did not know this previously, is they actually worshipped a dead carcass of this python in this temple. And that's where she operated out of. And when she operated out of this temple... They would come together and they would actually have like different potions and different things that they would put on this dead carcass. And the fumes that kind of filled the room would send them into basically a drug-induced kind of thing where they were seeing visions and they were hearing this woman give this spirit. So it was a what the, the Greek translation of the spirit of divination literally means python. And there was a worship of python in this temple and that's where she operated. But she had what they called here in Acts 16, these these local business people were making money off of her being able to do this, but it wasn't done out of the spirit of God. It was done out of a spirit of evil. And when you see this, what he says, what has happened, is the same thing because that spirit, when he cast it off of her and he, he rebukes it and it goes... You see that that python spirit not just constricting her in her life. She was free now. It actually constricted Paul because they came and they arrested him because these wealthy businessmen weren't going to make any money off of this woman who was, who was filled with the demon of spirit of divination, as the Bible tells us. And I said all that to say that Paul, this church was birthed out of a supernatural revival. The church of Philippi was birthed out of a supernatural revival. And you know the rest of the story. They throw Paul and Silas in prison, right? 
They chain them, and they're even told, we want this guy, these guys guarded extra special. It shows you why the jailer was so concerned when he found out all the doors were open because what do they do? They get chained into the deepest part, into a special inner room, and what do they do when they're beaten and they're chained? They begin to praise, right? They begin to lift up the name of God and sing hymns and begin to, the amazing thing about that, and I want to tell you, your prayer life, this is a side note, but your prayer life consists of a lot more than just asking God for things. There is something called intercessory worship. And what intercessory worship will do when you get into a deep place of worship, you don't know that your worship isn't setting somebody else free of something that they're going on in their life or they're operating in. Because all these people are jailed. They begin to praise and intercessory worship is going up. And it says there was a great earthquake and that great earthquake opened all the prison doors of everybody inside of that. I mean, when he's conversing with these people and writing them back, members of the church would have been people who got saved in a jail cell. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me. Because the jailer runs in and he sees all the doors open and he says, I'm a goner for sure. So he's about ready to fall on his own sword because he knows he's going to be in trouble. And instead of falling on his own sword, Paul stops him in one of the first conversions that we know of in Acts 16, that he's talking about what happened. In Acts 16, it talks about the fact that he and his whole family were saved and were obviously more than likely some of the earliest members of the Philippian church. He had a real affinity for these people. But what I want to talk about tonight in parallel Philippians 1 with Acts 16, and what I want to talk about tonight is how we can find our way into the will of God. The reason that I'm teaching in this direction, in this way, is I want you to leave here tonight through this teaching with one very important thing. I want you to have fresh vision and fresh purpose in your life. Because of all the things that Paul walked through, and the book of Philippians lays this out very succinctly and very, very clearly, all the things that Paul walked through, He was able to not only endure them, but have true joy that we see in Philippians, to have true peace, and to be able to say things like what we just read. Whether I I live or die, it's all up to him because to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do you get to that place where your life is so surrendered and so laid down to the will of God to where you get put in a jail here in Philippi and years later you're in a Roman prison and you're able to pen those words and it's not about your circumstances, it is about fulfilling what God has called you to do. One of the reasons we are so listless and aimless and feel like we don't know where we're going is because we have forgotten the purpose by which God has put you upon this earth wasn't to have more stuff, It wasn't to have something better, and it wasn't to have a bigger house and all those kind of things. Those things are not in and of themselves evil, but when they take the place of God, we can sometimes need to be reminded, like right here in Philippians 1, that we are put here on purpose for a purpose. And when you find that purpose, listen to me, you can walk in joy all the days of your life. Are you listening to me tonight? You really can't. That's one of the themes of the book of Philippians that we'll pull out week after week is Paul had a real deep 
abiding joy that was in him. And this is something else that we learned through the book of Philippians, and we'll study out these next four weeks, is the power and purpose of vision. Everybody say vision. Vision. Because we just learned that Paul was preaching in Philippi, and a revival broke out in jail. But how did he wind up in Philippi to begin with? Isn't that a great question? How did he end up? The answer to how he ended up there will help you in a practical way in your own life in fulfilling the vision and calling that God has on your life. And if you're looking this way and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, you're the pastor. God's called you. God has given you vision. That is not in the Bible that you don't have a calling and a purpose and a vision that God has called you for from the oldest all the way to the youngest in this room. God has a purpose for you. In this generation that just walked out of here a few minutes ago, they would rather sit on the couch and press buttons because nobody has called them to live for something greater than themselves. In other words, they don't have a true purpose. So Paul in his travels found that purpose. Are you in Acts 16? Look at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Verse 7. When they came to a crossing, a border crossing, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter. During the following night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, look back this way. There are two things immediately that I I thought of and I wrote down as I read that and is studying that. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, Paul operated in the already known will of God until he was instructed about the specific will of God. Paul moved and operated based on the known will of God before he knew and understand what the specific place and calling that he was going to walk into in the place of Philippi. What you're reading here is how Paul ended up in the city of Philippi to begin with. And here's how Paul operated. And it's a key to fulfilling vision in your own life. If you want to fulfill the purpose and call and vision in your life, don't wait For somebody to tell you to go because Jesus has already told you to go. Are you listening to me? It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. Before he ascended, he told his people, go into all the world and make disciples. For Paul in particular... He knew by this point, because this is many years of Paul ministering and planting churches, he had been blessed and sent out of the Jerusalem church. They had hashed out how we're going to do this, how we're going to plant the churches, what are we going to require of the Gentile believers. And remember for them, they were not, for the most part, in this area of Greece, they would have not been, there would have been certainly Jewish converts that knew the Old Testament. But there would have been a lot of people there that just, they didn't know Scripture. They didn't know anything about it. Paul doesn't know as he's penning this that he's writing part of the New Testament that's canonized about two, three hundred years later. He doesn't know that. He's writing them a letter telling them about how much he, affection he has for them. And he mentions it, of what we just read, what happened. And what happened is this. And here's, this is so important. I told, I told young people this for years when I meet with people in my office, and I get this question a lot, especially from young people, especially from college and career age that I pastor for many years. 
And this is a question you may have been asking yourself lately, whether, again, you're in a stage of life where you're retired and just kind of, you know, uh, just I'm jealous that you get to sleep in is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) If you're in that stage of life, cool. But you can't steer a parked car. I used to tell young people this all the time. What does that mean? I used to tell them just by way of illustration, when you get in your car and you have somewhere to go, you don't just sit there. You start the car up. You begin to move towards your destination. My point is simple. But Paul, as I read this, is operating in what God had already spoken back here for him to do. And it says in, the, in those passages, he went to this area and he preached and people were saved. He went to this area, he preached and people were saved. He, he went to this area and he preached and he was beaten and left for dead and then he was raised again and he preached and people got saved. And he is operating by doing what God had already said until the time and place where God stopped him at the place where he was going into Asia Because it wasn't time for him to go into Asia. It was time for him to put a foothold of the gospel in what later would become Europe. This was the first foray of the gospel into Europe was this area of Greece. A large area, the largest city, Philippi. When he has this vision in Joel 2, it says that that we would have dreams and we would have visions given to us by the Holy Spirit of God. And those things would lead and guide us into what God has for us. But you can't get to the will of God if you're always saying, God, what am I supposed to do? Because God has most of the time has already told you what you're supposed to do. And he will unfold that plan as you walk out what you've already known what to do. Is this making sense tonight? It should because a lot of people, and I meet with them all the time, Pastor, I don't know what God wants me to do. I said, I've got a whole book of what God wants you to do. So until he gets specific, and trust me, God in my life has not gotten specific until I'm already fulfilling what he has given me to do at that season and place in my life. Then he'll give me an unction in my spirit. I'll see something in front of me that is like, wow, this is, these are the people. And my, my question is simple tonight, but it's so important. You can't steer a parked car. Paul's operating under what he knows to be the will of God and just going and doing it. What the church needs today is just go do it. Are you hearing me? Just when you've got a neighbor that's lost and you've lived by him for 15 or 20 years and you've never tried to serve him, you've never tried to love on him, you've never tried to reach out to him. Hey, can I cook you something? Can I bring you some cooking? Just form a relationship. God's not going to give you some grand. Most people want to go off and win a million people to China. How about if we win our neighbor first? How if we just reach out in love to those people that God puts around you every single day? Most of you know my testimony. I didn't start out preaching and teaching. didn't do that for many years. You know what I started out doing? Staying at the back door of my church, welcoming, welcoming people through the door, asking them if I could be of service, carrying in strollers and baby bags and, and doing all the things to help serve my church. You see, when you start and look and see a need and you jump in and begin to fill it, that is when God gives you the revelation. That is when God begins. And here's my question for you tonight. Who is your Macedonian man? That's what it's talking about here. They saw a man in Macedonia calling out to them, come and help us. 
And my question for this church and the people here tonight is God will give you the Macedonian man. God will give you the direction. God will give you that person that he wants you to minister to and reach. This was a whole region, of course. This person signified Paul going in and being able to see the great revival, being able to see the, this awesome church. And listen to me, I, I can't stress enough how awesome this church must have been for Paul to say, man, you're the ones I want to be connected to. I see what God is doing, and it's just getting better and better and better and better. And I tell you tonight, that's the church I want to pastor. Amen? Yeah. And it is. But... Sometimes we can be operating in a sense of, well, God, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. Can I tell you? Just get up and do something. Are you hearing me? Get up and move towards what you already know. When God said, go in all the world and preach the gospel, that means everywhere you are, spirit-led and use wisdom. Amen? Use wisdom and let people know. Let people know as you're conversing with them. Let people know as you're getting to know them in your neighborhood. Let people know that God loves them. God has a plan for them. God has something special for them to do. You have a Macedonian man. You have someone or a ministry or something that God is calling you to. Again, whether you're in the stage of life or retired, or you're in a stage of life where you're working a job full-time, God has somebody for you to reach. And in this passage, it doesn't mean you're always going to see a dream or a vision. Is everybody with me? It means this, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, of God speaks to me in very peculiar ways sometimes. But it was a Charlie Brown cartoon. And in the Charlie Brown cartoon, I always love how Lucy is always messing with Charlie Brown. Right? She, poor Charlie Brown never got a break, especially when she'd pull the football. You know, she'd take that football and he'd miss it. And in this episode, he's shooting an arrow, and he'd shoot the arrow at this wooden wall, and he would, it, once it hit, he would go up and draw a circle around it. <laughs> like, look, I hit the bullseye. I wonder if we're not doing that in the church. God has very specific targeted people for this church right here in Homosassa, Florida, to reach. And it's up to us and you to start to ask God, God, who is my Macedonian man? Who are the group of people that you've put me? Can I tell you what the simplest definition of ministry is? Simplest definition I could give you. Because a lot of people ask that question too. What is ministry? Well, that, the minister is the one up on the stage. He unlocks the doors and turns the air down and he's ready for us when we come in and make sure worship team's ready and make sure things, the lights are on and all the things that I administrate on a practical side. We see this person up here as, as minister. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have been anointed by the Holy Ghost. You have not only been anointed, but you've been appointed for such a time as this. And God has people for you to be revealed that you are there to reach them. And the simplest definition of ministry that I can give, and there's many, but for, the, for tonight's purposes, the definition of ministry, church, is influence. Everybody say influence. You, that's why our character matters. Amen? That's, that's why the things that we say should line up with the things that we do. Because when I do want to reach out to my neighbor, I want to have a good relationship. I want him to look and say, I can listen to what that person says. So you have a sphere of influence. And so did Paul. Everywhere he went, he began to preach. 
began to win people. The Holy Spirit would be already working before he ever got there. He'd preach. Now, it came with opposition, and we're going to talk about that at the end tonight. A lot of times we let our circumstances stop us from finding the people God is calling us to minister to. And, And the influence that God has given you, you begin to look around you, and let me, let me tell you this. If you don't have influence in anybody's life, you need to start praying for it. Because when you have influence, you have the right, listen to me, you have the right of way to speak truth into people's lives. The church has been bad about not earning the right to speak truth into people's lives. I've never argued anybody into the kingdom of God. I never have. I've loved them into the kingdom are you hearing me? I've loved him. So what we need to do is understand that Paul was, listen to me, it's not just zeal. If you leave here and think, yeah, I need to be more zealous and I need to, I need to reach more people. Yes, yes, yes. But zeal without wisdom and, and direction from the Holy Spirit can get you into a lot of trouble. Paul was just like, hey, I'm a preacher and whether by life or by death, I'm going to move and move and move and go and go and go. And you watch what happened. This is amazing. The Holy Spirit said, nope, this isn't where I want you. Over here is where I want you. But he was moving in the direction of God's will. You want to find God's will. You want to operate in God's will. You want to operate in purpose, plans, vision, and things God wants to give you. Begin to move into what you already know. And listen to me. He will open doors that you couldn't believe. He'll open doors that you never dreamed were possible. But it comes with opposition. It comes with difficulties. It comes with sometimes like Paul not in a physical one, hopefully, but a spiritual prison that you feel like you're in. But can I tell you tonight, the Holy Ghost can open prison doors. He can, he can direct you. But it all comes back to like a Joel 2 type of a moment. A Joel 2 dreams and visions, the unction of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaking to us and leading us. And sometimes we shoot the arrow and we circle it and say, wow, didn't we really nail this? When God has a very specific person, or a very specific area, or a very specific region in his overall grand plan that you are instrumental, but it takes the unity of the body to reach a community of people. And we all need to be moving in the same direction. And I wonder this, have you ever seen your Macedonian man? He's in prison, and Paul is trying to do what God has called him to do, and it doesn't matter who walks up to the prison cell door, whether it was somebody that liked him and was kind or whether it was somebody that despised and hated him. He treated everybody, apparently, that walked up to the door because he had favor everywhere that he went. And he said, it didn't matter the circumstances. God has already pinpointed and called and told me what to do, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free to go out and preach the gospel. I have zeal for God and to get the kingdom of God proclaimed everywhere we go. And it's time... When you read things like this, it's time for us to get moving and focus, refocus back on one simple thing. God has called you to preach the gospel. He's got, God has called you to deliver his good news. Paul came to understand is that when you get your purpose figured out, it will motivate. Everybody say motivate. motivate. Like when you really begin to understand your purpose... It will motivate you to walk through fires. It will motivate you to walk through trials. It will motivate you to walk through things that are difficult because of that 
purpose. You find in the, in the generation that's coming up behind us is that for the most part, they don't have motivation. They don't have anything that they're focused on. I will put a challenge out there before you, and we're going to do this with this group of kids here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge them to lay their complete life down for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they want to go on and be lawyers or doctors or welders or electricians or school teachers or police officers, firefighters, whatever they want to do, but I want to instill in them, and Cody and I have talked a lot about this, instill in them because I think a generation would be captivated in this soulless, dark culture that we live in for somebody to give a genuine gospel call to say, you don't, you don't any longer even belong to yourself. You belong to him and his kingdom and what he's calling you to do and the people he's calling you to reach. Paul understood this in a profound way, that it didn't matter what happened to him externally. He knew who he was serving internally, and it didn't matter. Philippians 1, 12 through 13. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Listen, once you get moving in the right direction, God, through the unction of the Holy Spirit, will begin to reveal vision, plans, purpose into your life. So the key to understanding your purpose will help you understand that there will be obstacles. Everybody say obstacles. Listen, number one, understanding your purpose will motivate you. Paul came to realize it didn't matter where he was. It was all about Jesus. It was all about his kingdom. And it was all about doing what God told him to do. Number two, knowing your purpose will keep your priorities straight. When you truly know your purpose, your priorities don't get out of hand. I remember something that a leader of a ministry up in Atlanta that I used to bring teams to from my school and we'd minister there. And one particular time he was preaching at the school, so he decided just to jump back in the van. And his name was David Van Cronkite. And he he led Blood and Fire Ministries in Atlanta. He was a bank president, worked in one of the biggest high-rises in downtown Atlanta, quit it all to go work inner city because his church had been doing outreaches in these projects that was designated by the federal government as one of the worst projects in, in the whole United States. So they, they dedicated renewal money and trying to go in and help these people, and he quit all that. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, bought this old, dilapidated, it was like a warehouse type of a thing, rats running all over the place. We slept on pews, rats running on the rafters above us. And I began to ask him driving back a great conversation. And this helped me so much, and I hope it helps you when it comes to your purpose and your priorities. He said something so simple yet so profound to me, and it helped me make decisions all throughout my life and ministry. He said, Jason, if you don't know what you've already said yes to, you'll never know what to say no to. If you don't know what you've already... See, Paul knew what to say no to because of who he said yes to. And when you have that purpose and that that vision in your life, there's a lot of things that will trip you up and a lot of things that would take and snare you throughout life and ministry that you don't have to deal with because you've already said yes to the call. You've already said yes to the vision. You've already said yes to the man in Macedonia. We're coming and we're going to preach the gospel in your area. And God met them in a great revival. Number three, understanding your purpose will empower you to live in the present. Listen, he's not fretting about prison. He's not fretting about all the things that have happened to him. He's not complaining. 
He's not, isn't that what we usually want to do when we run into an obstacle? We complain. Paul lived a lifestyle of praise because he knew his purpose. He knew that God had already told him, hey, in different places, hey, you're going to make it out of this. Peace right then. And he had the attitude, even if I don't, if it, if it furthers the gospel. What I'm simply saying is if you'll focus on the gospel and put it first, everything else will be added unto you. That's a promise of the word. Seek ye the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. He had a personal sense of purpose, and this works in two ways. Your sense of purpose, listen to me, your sense of purpose will work on you. It will. And it'll work. You work on it, and then it works on you. It takes work to fulfill the purpose and call of God. Don't be fooled. It takes work to fill that. But in that working, that purpose is working on the inside of you. Listen, don't. Here's what happens with people. When, whenever I've preached on vision and purpose and told people, hey, God's first and foremost called us to preach the gospel, he will lead and guide you as you do that. He'll give you the gifts. You want to have a non-boring Christian life? Listen to the Holy Spirit and who he's directing you to pray for, who he's directing you to, to witness to, who he's directing you to, to, to maybe sense that they're in a down place or a down season in their life. You can go over and pray for them the gifts of the Holy Spirit will just begin to come alive in you. Listen, the reason they may not be alive in you is because the Lord looks and says, you're not using anything, right? Circumstances should not govern our passion. Listen, God spoke to him. Watch this. God spoke to him through a vision, come to Macedonia, and things still went wrong. How often do we get turned around by circumstances? All the time. Here's what I've learned, and this may help you, I hope. If the devil knows he can stop me over here with this, then he's going to use it over and over and over. So I'm better to go through the test and the fire the first time with my faith intact and with my eyes on Jesus because I don't want him to use the same old stuff. He's going to use something down the road to be sure. But when you make it through that test, he's not going to use those things over and over and over again. Listen. When you have purpose, it fuels your passion. And when your passion is fueled, you will not let obstacles and circumstances stand in the way of fulfilling what God has called you to do. Here's the deal. I've learned this in life. You can either, you can either surrender to a circumstance or you can surrender to a cause. Are you hearing me? You can surrender to circumstances or you can surrender to a cause. When you surrender to a cause... The circumstances don't matter anymore. That's what we learn in Philippians chapter 1. Paul was so sold out and so focused on God and his kingdom and fulfilling the purposes that, that he said plainly, these circumstances don't matter because in whatever circumstance I find myself in, I see God working out all things together for good for those who love him and are called we take that passage out of context all the time. Oh, it's going to work out, brother. I'm going to tell you how it works out. Sell out to the call of Jesus Christ and His kingdom and preaching His gospel, and then everything will work out because you put yourself squarely on God's side. And Paul knew that. 
Paul knew, I'm so sold out to God, I'm so sold out to Jesus, that it doesn't matter if these people in the jail love me or hate me, God is going to get the glory because anybody I come in contact with is going to hear about how good he is and how much he loves them and how merciful and how he can change their lives. Amen? Your cause can become so great that your circumstances just don't matter. Isn't that what David said in 1 Samuel 17, 29? He said, is there not a cause when he went to fight Goliath? He wasn't worried about any of the circumstances of what was going on around. He said, there's a cause to fight this battle. My point is, God empowers those who answer the call and are sold out for his calls. Philippians 1.14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I won't belabor this point, but in verses 15 through 18, he says something I think is so profound. He's talking about those who are doing it for the wrong reasons and those who are doing it for the right reasons. And he simply says this, what does it matter? What do the circumstances matter as long as Jesus Christ is being glorified? He's saying as long as the mission goes forward. Listen, I want to tell you tonight. If you follow God into it, God's going to allow you to follow him out of it. Amen? Paul was so completely sold out to God. And the joy that you see in this letter and the joy he was relaying to these people he had such an affection for was a reminder to them, even though you're going to come up against persecution and come up against circumstances and come up against the fight and the battle of the enemy... You can stand tall in that because God has given you a vision and a purpose. And a lot of you need to remember that, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know which direction to head. I don't know. And I know that's certainly something that much younger people ask. God, well, you know, who am I going to marry? What job am I going to have? What career? I used to just tell young people all the time. I'll use, I know his mom's right back there. I'll use Eric Peterson as an example. I've talked to Eric for years now. I just used to encourage him, Eric, go. Head towards, if you feel like God's calling you to that, man, it's not just going to drop out of the sky. Man, I've been conversing with him. He's grown so much. He gave me a word last night that would just blow, last night or this morning, blow your socks off of what God's getting ready to do in this congregation. And it witnessed so internally. He was praying. Even had somebody walk over in the prayer service that he was in and confirm what, what God was speaking to him and praying for this church. I'm telling you, the breakthrough's coming, and the breakthrough doesn't happen just so we can enjoy more soaking in God's... The breakthrough happens so that we can reach His community. God knows this is hard ground. God knows the darkness that's here. God knows the difficulty. He knew it in Philippi, but He had a man. Come on, somebody. God's method is a man and a woman of God sold out completely completely focused on his purposes, not worried about circumstances, not worried about things going on around him, to keep your focus on the passion that God has for lost people around us. That's what Philippians 1 is talking about. He could have joy. He could have peace. He could have an understanding that, yes, I'm in the will of God, yet I'm in prison. And I want you to know that don't judge your effectiveness by what's going on externally, judge it by internal peace and joy and things that God gives through the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Stand with me tonight.
Here's my prayer. I knew this when I started studying this. Here's my prayer tonight. I am going to pray, and if you'll agree with me, God will do this. He will do this. It's not going to be like Paul necessarily where you have an open vision or it may be a dream. It could happen that way. Usually for me it's just an unction that I feel in my what my pastor called his knower, that inward knower, where he just pinpoints somebody that he wants you to reach. I'm waking you up tonight to understand when I pray this and you agree, God is going to lead you to somebody that needs to hear how much he loves them, that needs to hear how much that he desires to be in relationship with them. In other words, he's going to lead you to be bold and to preach his truth to them. And listen to me now. You're going to see walls that have been up against God fall, much like those prison doors that shook awake. There's going to be people come out of prison because you were obedient to find your man in Macedonia. Amen? Amen. Father, I pray this for myself, and I pray it for this awesome church, God. Father, I pray tonight for each and every one of us that you would, through dreams, vision, unction, the leading of those who are led by the Holy Spirit, are the children of God, as children of God tonight, as sons and daughters of your kingdom. Father, I pray for each and every person in this church, whether they're here, I pray they would just know it in their knower tonight, wherever they are, that God, you have called us to preach your word. You have called us to stand for your truth. You have called us to be those who serve and those who love. Let this mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. Father, let that mind come on us. Let that heart descend on us. Let the passion and zeal for your house and your kingdom melt away all circumstances. But, Lord, I'm praying you would lead us to that person that needs to hear your word, that needs to hear your goodness, needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, lead us to that person. And, Father, we pray tonight that you would give us an unction. You would literally fill our mouth with the words to speak release the gifts of the Holy Spirit into our lives, that we would minister in words of knowledge and words of wisdom. We would minister in the gift of faith. We would minister in, in, in healings, Lord, as we pray for people, as we lay hands on them, as we minister to them out of the overflow of our hearts. Lead us and guide us. Let us not look at the circumstances tonight, but let us keep our eyes on your command to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And you said you're with us, Lord. When we go to do that, you're with us. And Lord, we thank you for that tonight, that we can have joy and peace, and we can have the goodness of the kingdom, no matter the circumstance, Father. Lord, I bless Christian Center Church tonight. I mean it, Lord. Bless them, Father. Bless them tonight as they go. Protect us on these wet roads. Put your angels around about each one of us. Raise up a hedge of protection around And God, may we hear your precious voice as we go to sleep tonight. And may this congregation have the best night rest that they perhaps have had in many months. Lord, let the peace that passes all understanding guard their heart and guard their mind, Lord. Father, bless them tonight as we go. And return at the appointed time. Father, may your presence go with us in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, Sunday we're going to be talking about prayer, the third chord of the three-stranded chord. So look forward to seeing you all, Lord willing, on Sunday.